Hello, and welcome to episode 41 of The Jared White Show, recorded October 7th, 2019. I'm your host, Jared White, and I invite you to join me in a curated celebration of the art form that is the web. A little bit of time has passed since the last episode, and I won't bore you with all the details of why that is, but the short version is, I got sick. I really got sick. It kind of knocked out my voice for a little while there. Bad cough, all that. And so I just, I was not feeling up to the rigors of podcasting. Uh, And in addition, I still had a ton of work that I just had to do. Uh, The client load never ends. And, you know, it's all good. I'm very thankful for the work I have. So I just really kind of had to plow through it. Uh, And I also had uh, a fun thing that I needed to work on, but it did take some time. uh, And that is uh, for the the geeks in the back there. Uh, I'm a Ruby on Rails developer. That's sort of my primary gig in my company, White Fusion, that I run. And uh, there's a local Ruby on Rails, well, just Ruby in general, meetup uh, here in the Portland, Oregon area. And uh, I gave a presentation there last week, all about what's new in Ruby on Rails version 6. And if you're interested in that, um, I think the video that they recorded is still in the works. But in the meantime, I have my slides online, which you can check out at rails6.whitefusion.design. So uh, yeah, it was a fun talk. I enjoyed putting it together. I think it was pretty well received. So. So that was cool. Uh, but but like I said, took quite a while to put that together. So in between getting sick and then as I was getting well, putting that together, giving that presentation, uh, and then all the other stuff I'm doing at White Fusion, uh, this podcast has suffered. But here we are. Here we are, my friends, today. And uh, one interesting thing, in, in, the, in the intervening time as I was not recording weekly episodes, I was giving the show a lot of thought. And something that came to mind, which sounded really fun and interesting, was to take a break from sort of the typical format of of just throwing out a bunch of links there and offering commentary, uh, and instead talk about myself. <laughs> uh, no, not exactly. Um, only it, It's only indirectly about myself. What it really is about is a topic that actually uh, comes up a lot these days for good reason. Uh, And that's uh, the relationship between uh, freelance work and mental health. Uh, And as a freelancer and someone who has struggled with mental health, uh, this is a topic that hits close to home. Um, There's actually a lot of talk in general, I think, about uh, work practices uh, in in the tech sector and uh, the effects that has on people's mental health. Um, But for me, uh, some of the challenges of working, like, you know, say at Facebook or, or Apple or some giant tech company, um, it's, it's quite different than if you're a freelancer just working on your own with a bunch of clients. Um, I think the, the challenges you have as a freelancer are somewhat unique. Uh, so that's really what I want to get into. Um, now, don't, don't stop the show if you're not a freelancer, please. I, I think there's a lot that I'll be talking about here that applies to anyone that uh, you know struggles with mental health uh, as part of their their job. Um, so you know, I'll I'll try to keep it a little bit general, um, but but some of the the points I'll raise are I think uh, a little bit particular to the world of freelancing. Um, so some background here. 
Um, I've actually written a bit about the, the, the really acute depression I suffered a few years ago. So I'll, I'll put a couple links in the show notes to articles I've written. Um, but long story short, in the uh, sort of 2014-2015 era, um, I, I got to a place where I, I had to admit to myself that I was suffering from pretty severe depression. And this isn't something that uh, I've historically felt was sort of a, a, a main defining characteristic of myself. Um, I, I, I grew up in a family where there was a lot of depression, um, but I was always the sunny optimist <laughs> as a kid. So, so while my parents were dealing with all kinds of stuff and, and having all kinds of issues and, and frankly, <laughs> a very dysfunctional relationship, um, I was always trying to look on the, the bright side and offer my whatever help I could as a kid to, to make peace and get everyone back to being happy. I just felt like, you know, we should all just get along and be happy and, and trust in God and just be, you know, getting along. And I was just, you know, I felt like uh, the, the, the main goal in life was to, uh, was to look on the bright side of things. <laughs> uh, so that was me as a kid. And to go from, you know, uh, the sun will come out tomorrow, kid, to, uh, oh, my God, the, the world is terrible and my life is falling apart and I've, I'm a wreck and I feel awful. And, and I mean, basically, the, the phrase that, that came to mind that I, I kept telling my wife over and over again was, my brain is broken. So there's, there's some, something is really wrong. I feel like my brain is broken and I'm just not reacting to things the way... I would expect to react to them, you know, good things that happen barely register and bad things that happen, I completely freak out and uh, I was suffering from a lot of anxiety and, you know, it, it got so bad that, you know, my cell phone would ring and it might be, you know, from a client and before I even knew what was going on and it wasn't even necessarily a client I was having lots of problems with, but, you know, just, just, just the mere possibility that something slightly difficult could ensue it's as a result of picking up the phone, I, I would just get these major anxiety attacks. I'd be like, oh my God. And maybe just, you know, let it go to voicemail and <laughs> like work up my courage to just listen to it. I mean, it, it got bad. It was, it was, you know, at the point where it's actually affecting, you know, the, the, my quality of life and the work I do and all that. Just, I, I knew something was really wrong. So, uh, once I identified something was wrong, and, and actually, the, the more I admitted to myself and to others publicly uh, that you know, something was wrong, that, that alone helped me to feel better, uh, which I think is an interesting thing about depression and, and mental health in general is, you know, the, the, more, the more you accept the problem you're having, you know, the more you sort of, uh, you know, come to grips the fact that this is something to live with and to sort of systematically work through, uh, I think that alone could actually help you feel better. And that's, that's very interesting. But um, anyway, once I identified that something was wrong, of course, uh, my very analytical programmer kind of brain kicked in. And I'm like, well, this is a problem to be solved. I will do my research. <laughs> so I started doing research into, you know, bipolar disorder and depression and all these other sorts of things. And started looking for, you know, maybe books that would help with helping my brain get unbroken. 
<laughs> whatever that means. Um, and I came across a book, and I wrote a review about this book because it was so meaningful to me. Uh, it's called Mindsight uh, by Dr. Dan Siegel. Uh, and it's all about his research into mindfulness, mindfulness meditation, and, and just in general various, uh, in some cases, quite simple exercises that you can do uh, basically to exercise your brain. Um, and, and one of the breakthrough concepts here for me was the idea that, uh, you know, just as we would go to a gym or, you know, go, go out running or do sports in order to, to exercise our bodies, uh, we really need to exercise our minds as well. And I think a lot of us just basically take our, our brains, you know, this giant organ inside of our skulls that consumes a massive amount of energy. We, we just sort of take it for granted. You know, it just works. I don't really think about my brain every day, you know. <laughs> but our brains are, are really fragile instruments, and we need to take care of them, and we need to exercise them in ways that help our thinking and help reverse uh, negative thought patterns and and all that. So, uh, so Mindsight, the book, was hugely helpful. Uh, I, I started practicing some of the exercises in the book. I started thinking through a lot of the concepts in the book. And, and almost right away, I felt like it was greatly beneficial to me. Um, another resource that really helped me is a book called Centering Prayer and Inner Awakening by Cynthia Borgo. Uh, and this this is a uh, this is a topic uh, that's part of the uh, sort of contemplative tradition within historical Christianity. Uh, so you know, if you're not a Christian, never fear. I'm not going to dive into a bunch of religious discussion right now. Um, but the reason this was so helpful for me is because uh, I come from uh, in my childhood and into my early adulthood. Uh, I I come from the the Christian. Uh, religious tradition, uh, but it was one that was entirely, um, I would say, cerebral. So it was all about, you know, knowing precepts about God based on study of Scripture, uh, and it was really missing the whole mystical side of things, the contemplative practice, uh, and um, the any sort of contemplative sort of take on faith that I did receive prior to getting introduced to Centering Prayer uh, was within the, the charismatic circles where they would have these things they would call uh, soaking times where everyone would be quiet and listen to relaxing worship music and think about God. And But the, the, the problem, it, it seemed really cool at the time, but the problem later that I realized was uh, it was all about expecting like, it, I'm here to, and I expect God to do something on my behalf, like give me some kind of spiritual revelation or give me visions of whatever, angels or something. <laughs> uh, it got pretty far out there. Um, but centering prayer is completely different. Centering prayer is really sort of a, uh, an analog to uh, the Eastern tradition of mindfulness meditation, uh, where you're really just concerning yourself with presence. Like, I am here... I am acknowledging that I'm alive and I'm breathing and I'm here with God. And that's it. That's it. That's, you really are there to, to let go of expectations, uh, to let go of, of sort of uh, cerebral knowledge, if you will, and just be still. 
and you know the any anytime you, your your brain does what your brain will, will do wander into the million and a half problems and and things you're wrestling with and you know what did i eat yesterday that made my tummy feel weird and <laughs> All, all the sort of talk, 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 talk our brains do, you know, centering prayer is all about sort of getting to a place of quiet and stillness and, and you know, sort of non-judgmentally letting those thoughts just kind of roll on by and not really engaging with them and really focusing on instead on, oh my gosh, it's getting noisy outside my studio. There's construction and stuff. Uh, if you hear that, sorry, my apologies. Anyway, uh, long story short, Centering Prayer and Inner Awakening, a book by Cynthia Borgo. Uh, she's done a bunch of study of Centering Prayer and is a practitioner of that herself. Uh, so it's a really great book to sort of introduce you to those concepts. So, so really that, that book, along with Mindsight, which is completely secular uh, and, and sort of fusing these different concepts together in an overall concept called Mindfulness, uh, for me, it was huge. It made such a major difference, and it really gave me tools to come back to. So, you know, fast forward to today, several years later, I don't feel like I suffer from acute depression, but I certainly see uh, negative patterns uh, arise now and then, and I feel myself slipping back into those days of struggling with my mental health. and But whenever I see that, I can start, you know, I can just pick up these tools again and really focus on mindfulness. And and whenever I do that, it, it really helps. So that's some of the general background for me and how I've, I've managed my depression. I want to get now into some specific challenges that I've had as a freelancer. And you may have had some of these challenges as well, whether or not you're a freelancer. Uh, so I'll just run down a list that I wrote up here. Uh, the first one is isolation. Uh, as a freelancer, I'm working on my own. And, you know, for years now, I've either had a home office or, or a private office somewhere. But essentially, I'm working by myself. And obviously, I'm, I'm working with people remotely. So I'm communicating with any number of folks on a daily basis. But it's usually just through chat or email or the occasional phone call. Um, so, you know, I'm not really hanging out with people. And uh, honestly, the personality I have, I'm okay with that. I don't really like just hanging out in large groups of people for hours at a time. I find that pretty exhausting. Um, but on the other hand, the isolation can definitely get to me. You know, if, if several days have gone by where essentially I have not talked to another human being uh, other than perhaps my family, uh, and I'm just working for hours, staring at a computer screen, looking at code or whatever. Uh, it, it can get very isolating, and uh, so that's you know that's a challenge, particularly if you struggle with mental health, because uh, I think you know it, it's it's easier to to get into a funk when you're just on your own and you don't have anyone to talk to and you don't have anyone to sort of you know, give you emotional strength through the, the joys of your conversation. Um, and, you know, people that are in a, a lively workplace every day, uh, that can come with its own challenges if you have, you know, dysfunctional office politics and all that, and that's its own challenge. I'm just telling you what my challenge is as a freelancer, which is isolation. Uh, the next one is finances. As a freelancer, I'm entirely dependent on the money I make from the work I do for my clients. And so, you know, the more clients, the more work I have. I can make quite a decent living. 
Um, but if some of those clients uh, close down a project or, or just the project you know, comes to its natural conclusion and I have fewer clients or in a few dire circumstances, everything's dried up at once and I'm suddenly faced with literally no <laughs> billable hours ahead of me, uh, that is a really scary place to be. Uh, so, uh, so finances, you know, obviously, like even even if you're the sunniest person in the world, if your money situation is going down the tubes, uh, that alone can can be really hard on your mental health. The next one is a word that I don't even know if it's a real word, but I'm calling it ephemerality, <laughs> the ephemerality of the work I do, uh, and this is, I think, a little bit unique to digital freelancers. Uh, you know, if you're if you're the kind of freelancer where, say, you 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 know you write long essays for for newspapers, uh, you know maybe there's a bit more sense of of a lasting impact there. If you write, you know, say a, a, a long uh, investigative journalist. Uh, report and then that gets uh, published and you win a Pulitzer Prize and then that gets made into a movie and <laughs> I mean that happens. I actually just watched an amazing series on Netflix called Unbelievable, which was based on a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, investigative report. And uh, you know, so so that isn't very ephemeral. Um, but the work I do, which is basically you know everything ends up on the web, uh, it feels very ephemeral. You know, it, it's it's just code and pixels and, you know, it might be on the web today, but maybe in a year I'll find out that the client redesigned their website with some other provider and everything I worked on is just gone. <laughs> uh, and, you know, all the websites I, I designed, you know, say back in the late 90s are obviously all gone. And so, you know, there, there's a there's a quality to the work I do, which is that it it's uh, very uh, here today, gone tomorrow. Um, and that alone can weigh on me at times. You know, it, it, it sort of contributes that sense of everything I'm doing has no meaning. It's just going to go away. And Nobody will ever hear of me again or appreciate anything I've worked on. And, you know, you can get into a real pity party around that. Uh, and uh, I have solutions to all these things, just so you know. I, I, but I, I want to go through the list of, of the bad stuff before I <laughs> provide some thoughts about solutions. Uh, so ephemerality. Uh, the next thing is uh, workspace. I think as a freelancer... The, the workspace where you are working on a daily basis is really, really critical. I mean, this one issue alone, I feel, can make the difference between a good day's work and just feeling terrible. You know, if, if, you're, if you're crammed into a tiny little desk with, a, with an old laptop that's falling apart, you know, in the corner of a, of a garage or something, like, <laughs> that, that is not good. You know, you, you really need to prioritize your workspace. You know, it, it, find, find a real room where you can shut the door and have privacy and, and really focus on your work. Uh, get a good chair. Get a, a really good chair to, to protect your back and neck. And, uh, you know, if, if you want to get real fancy, maybe invest in a sit-stand desk. Um, I've never done that because uh, I have a hard time concentrating when I'm standing. Uh, I've, I've tried it many times. I've, I've worked at bar tables. I've, I've tried, like, improvising my own sit-stand sort of, sort of thing just to try it out. And I don't know. For whatever reason, when I'm standing, I, I, I can only concentrate for, you know, maybe like 20 minutes. And then I'm like... 
I need to go walk or something. <laughs> Why am I just standing here? Um, so, you know, your mileage may vary, but, uh, you know, whatever you do, invest in your workspace. I'll, I'll talk more about that in, in the solutions uh, section. Um, but yeah, if your if your workspace is 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 cramped or messy or or you get distractions all the time or or whatever it is that's that's you know causing you to to feel like you're not uh, working in an optimal location, uh, that can be really challenging. And lastly, I want to talk more about location uh, in in the world. So not just your location in a in a room, in a house, in a in an office or co working space or whatever, um, but but where you actually live. Um, and this ties into sort of a larger conversation around um, you know sort of the, the the mindset you have as a freelancer. I know there's there's a whole movement out there of of digital nomads. Uh, where, you know, because people are freelancing and doing remote work, they can essentially travel the world and work from anywhere. Um, and I find that quite appealing in some ways. Um, but uh, the previous thing I just said about the importance of your workspace, um, <laughs> I feel like, uh, uh, you know, that that's very problematic if you're a digital nomad because you have no control over your workspace. You know, anywhere you go to work, uh, you know, it could have good Wi-Fi, it could have terrible Wi-Fi, it could have good ergonomic seating, it could have terrible seating. Uh, and, and, you know, just, just like sitting at a table with a laptop, you know, like at a coffee shop, for example, is actually really terrible for your posture. I mean, it's, you're, you're getting into a, a C-shaped crunch because what you really need is to have a keyboard down low and a monitor up high and a laptop is neither of those things. Uh, so, um, yeah, so, you know, digital nomadism, I think that's cool, but I think for many of us that, that really need to work, you know, essentially nine to five hours, five days a week, servicing clients, getting good work done, staying focused, uh, it's, it's really hard to, to do the digital nomad lifestyle, which means that you're going to be working where you live. And where you live is actually really important. I didn't even realize just how important it was until I, I started moving around. Um, I, I spent most of my adult life living in Santa Rosa in California. It's about an hour to hour and a half drive north of San Francisco. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really have any reason to complain, but uh, a, a sort of a, a series of events led me to, uh, to moving along with my wife to uh, Sebastopol, which isn't that far from Santa Rosa, but it's it's more in the country. It's a small town. It's very artsy and creative, and lots of you know, like farm to table sort of uh, stuff going on. And uh, and we we actually moved to a, a more or less a house in the country. I was on the outskirts of town. Uh, and and suddenly you know leaving sort of a large suburban town and going to a small town and living in the country. Uh, it was such a radical shift for me. It was you know, a lifestyle I hadn't had before. Um, and just just doing that sort of awakened me to the idea that, wow, like like moving to a new place, you know, being in, in a new context, uh, it, it can really have a massive effect on your day-to-day -day, uh, perspective on things. And um, and actually, all, all the depression I kind of got into actually happened around the time we moved uh, so, so there was sort of a delayed reaction. I think I had to sort of 
process through things I'd gone through uh, prior to moving. Um, but uh, but being where we were in Sebastopol itself had had a healing effect in some ways. Um, and then uh, then we ended up going in a completely <laughs> new direction uh, a couple years later, three years or so later. Um, and uh, basically after after wandering the earth for a brief time, I actually did a little bit of digital nomadism. Um, we ended up uh, up here in the Portland area in Oregon. Uh, total total change of pace. And um, at first I was living uh, kind of in a suburban area in a town near Portland, but but now I'm actually living in Portland proper, and I have a whole studio set up uh, right here, uh, pretty close to downtown, actually. Uh, it's it's really, really an awesome location. And, uh, and now that I'm here in uh, not the country, but <laughs> very much in a dense urban environment, um, I am loving it. Oh my gosh, it has had such a profound effect on my uh, uh, sense uh, of creativity and, and innovation. Uh, I just, you know, like every day as I'm working here, I just feel inspired. And um, once again, it highlights the need to, to think through where you actually live, your location in the world, uh, if you're a freelancer. Because uh, if, you're, if you're the kind of freelancer I am, uh, you have the freedom to potentially move around because you're not, you know, you're not working for a company in one location where you have to go into that office every day. Um, and so, you know, obviously I, I recognize people have ties to places, you know, because of family or other obligations, you know, maybe uh, they're part of a religious community or some other communities that, you know, require them to stay where they are. Um, but if you do have the potential freedom to move, I really encourage you to think through that and, uh, you know, maybe take some vacations to different places, travel around a little bit and, and see if, if there's a particular place, a particular city that really inspires you. And that might have a quite an outsized effect on your creativity and your success as a freelancer. All right, so down to some solutions to the problems I discussed before. So regarding isolation, uh, two things that have really helped me are uh, first to, uh, to find some hobbies that uh, spark joy, as it were, uh, you know, things that you can do outside of work. Uh, so for me, uh, photography and hiking, walking, uh, those have been really beneficial, um, just general exploration. Uh, you know, I, I have to get out of the office. I have to get up from my chair. I have to leave my desk. You know, I need to get outside and breathe fresh air. Uh, it's really important for my mental health. Uh, and it's one of those things that sounds like, well, duh, <laughs> as you say it. Um, but uh, it, it's really easy when, you, when you're just working at the computer to just get into this groove where you sit down at your computer and you sort of emerge from a fog eight hours later and you're like, oh my God, I feel terrible. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, honestly, I, I go out for a substantial walk several times a day on most days, uh, even if the weather's not great outside. Um, I, uh, I, I'm planning to, to rely heavily on my gym membership as the weather gets crummy here in Portland, uh, so I can still get proper exercise. Um, but, uh, you know, other, other kinds of hobbies besides that, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're into woodworking or you're into fly fishing or, or, uh, collecting stamps, whatever it is, if there's, if there's a hobby that you can, uh, set aside time for that, 
that you know brings you joy, really makes you happy. Uh, it's fun. Uh, making sure that you you take the time to do those things and not just get bogged down with your day to day work. That's really important. Uh, meetups are particularly important because uh, it gets you out of that isolated state. So um, you know, going to to meetups with with peers. Uh, there 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 are lots of freelancing groups out there, which is cool. Um, I, I tend to gravitate towards meetups around uh, particular uh, technologies that I'm into, you know, web meetups or programming meetups or design or whatever, uh, because, you know, you can get lots of inspiration and lots of ideas from your peers that way. Uh, being part of a co-working space can be really great. Um, if you actually, you know, get a desk and set up shop at a co-working space, then you do get a bit of that feel where you can interact with other people on a daily basis. Um, I, I've found that I actually prefer having a private office. I'm not big on working every day at a co-working space, um, but uh, but I like the idea of, of visiting a co-working space on somewhat of a regular basis to to get that that group experience. Regarding finances, uh, something I've really tried to do in my business is to work towards more of a subscription pricing model. I don't literally work through subscriptions, but um, I try to structure projects so that I'm, I'm sort of working roughly a certain number of hours a month, and I'm getting paid roughly a certain amount for those hours I work. Uh, and so, you know, across all my different clients, uh, because I have these long-term relationships and these sort of you know, general amounts of work that I'm doing on a monthly basis, uh, it's kind of like uh, subscription pricing. Uh, so I've really tried to structure everything that way because it's uh, greatly beneficial for my cash flow. Uh, and it's actually helpful in many ways for my clients as well, because they kind of, you know, they know what the work I'll be doing is ahead of time, more or less, and what it will cost. Uh, and so they kind of have that set aside in their cash flow, in their budget. Um, so, you know, whatever you do as a freelancer, uh, if, if, if you're accustomed to sort of doing one-offs, you know, get paid X amount of money, do some work, and then that's it, uh, that, that's really, really hard because you're always trying to chase down the next project. You're always trying to find a new client. You have to be in sales mode all the time. And that's really hard. So, so anything that you can do, anything at all, to get to more of a subscription model around the work you do is great. And I know some people that, that actually get into products like you know selling online courses or, or selling some kind of uh, what they call productized consulting. Um, it's, it's been hard for me to get into any of those models. Um, I don't know. It's, it's something about online courses just doesn't resonate with me. I... I I never actually signed up for any online courses, <laughs> so it's hard to think about making them. Uh, I, you know, I have to believe in whatever I'm selling. Um, but but you know, those sort of passive income type uh, arrangements can be really helpful. Uh, but whatever you do, you know, as a freelancer, you you really gotta get a handle on 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 your cash flow and making sure you have a steady cash flow. Or, uh, or it's just gonna always be a hard slog, and and over the long term, that can really be uh, uh, difficult in regards to mental health. About ephemerality, uh, this one I don't have a particular solution for. Uh, basically, <laughs> basically, my advice is deal with it. Sunglasses. Uh, no, seriously. Um, I think, uh, you know, 
in an existential sense, everything humans do is ephemeral. <laughs> I mean, you know, sure, we, we still listen to the, the uh, compositions of Beethoven hundreds of years later and all that sort of thing. But, um, you know, for, for most of us, most of the time, the things we do, it's not going to last. It's, it's eventually going to be out of date. It's going to be forgotten. And, you know, you, you kind of just have to learn to live with that and to enjoy the process of working. And that's, that's actually something that ties well into mindfulness, you know, really learning to embrace what's happening now, not looking too far ahead into the future all the time. Uh, enjoy the process of now. Um, I was actually listening to a podcast recently by one of my favorite authors and speakers, Rob Bell, and he was talking about you know the 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 fact that uh, that that the 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 process of writing books for him is really more meaningful than the the finished result of the book. You know, you you write a book and it gets published, and and in a sense, you know, once it gets published, like that's not the that's not the big thing you're. You know, sort of, you know, hanging your hat on in your life, like the process of writing the book, which was what was meaningful. And once the book's out there, like, pff, okay, great, on to the next one. <laughs> Keep the process going. So, uh, so for me, learning to embrace the process of the work I do, you know, to to enjoy those steps along the journey, um, and having that sort of mindset shift of, you know, the the finished result is actually less important than than what you went through to get there. Um, that's been a helpful mindset. Regarding your workspace, um, I really kind of talked about how important that is. Um, so I would say, you know, just don't settle. Don't settle for a crappy workspace. You know, invest time and money if you have to, to uh, putting together a really awesome workspace. Uh, you, you need to have a creative zone where you can just, you know, immediately when you get into your zone there, uh, you can, you know, let distractions and, and things sort of competing for your attention, uh, fall by the wayside and just really hone in on what you need to be doing. Um, so this is, you know, if anyone was asking me for advice, like I'm thinking about getting into freelancing, what advice do you have? Like out of the gate, absolutely. The first thing I would say is figure out where you're going to work, how you're going to work, when you're going to work. And really experiment with with lots of different uh, settings and and find something that works. Don't just you know immediately think like, oh, I can convert the corner of my spare bedroom into a little home office, and so I'll just you know I'll just buy desk from Target and stick my laptop on it, and I'm done. Like no 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 no. This is a process that might take months, if not years, <laughs> and lots of experimentation. And you might move to a new city. <laughs> you might do a lot in this in this whole uh, workspace uh, aspect of your business uh, until you get to a place where you feel really confident and really successful. Um, and then lastly, uh, you know, again, talked about this, uh, your location in the world, uh, moving to a new city, it should, it should not be out of the question. It should be something that you consider. Uh, and at the very least, just uh, prioritize travel in general. I think uh, as a freelancer, you have uh, an, an inordinate... Um, bleh, can't say it. <laughs> as a freelancer, you have an inordinate amount of... Uh, I can't say that word. Good grief. Uh, you have a lot of <laughs> opportunity as a freelancer to, uh, to have a flexible schedule, to, to travel, to, to work on the road... 
and kind of mix things up. So I really encourage you to do that and not just feel completely stuck in one place. All right, that's it for this episode. Uh, quite a different sort of a topic, different sort of conversation than we've had on the show to date. But um, I had fun talking about this topic. I hope you had fun listening. And if any of these topics resonated with you in particular, uh, please let me know. Please let me know your, your ideas, your questions, general feedback. You can email me at jared at jaredwhite.com. You can also go to my website, jaredwhite.com, and contact me there through a variety of means, as well as uh, listen to past podcast episodes. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And I will see you next time. Bye.